0: I am Dr. Peter Malinowski, clinical psychologist, trauma therapist, podcaster, blogger, co-founder and president of Souls and Hearts at soulsandhearts.com. But most of all, first and foremost, I am a passionate Catholic. And I also happen to be your host and guide in this Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. It is an honor. It is a pleasure to be with all of you. And why do we do this podcast? Why, why, why do we do this podcast? Because I want you to be able to taste and see the height and depth and breadth and warmth and the light of the love of God, especially God, your father and Mary, your mother, Our spiritual parents are primary parents. I am here to help you embrace your identity as a beloved little child, a beloved little son or daughter of God and Mary. That is what this podcast is all about. And we do that on this podcast and in souls and hearts by shoring up the natural human foundation for the spiritual life. We know from St. Thomas Aquinas that grace perfects nature. And we are all about offering you the best resources for your human formation grounded in an authentic Catholic understanding of the human person. We look at the obstacles. We look at the hindrances in our human formation. And St. John Paul II, in his 1992 apostolic exhortation, Pastores Dabovobis, stated that all formation, all formation is based on human formation, all our formation, spiritual formation, intellectual formation, pastoral foundation, all human formation is all, all formation is based on human formation. And to bring that about, to live out our mission, I bring you new ways of understanding yourself, fresh conceptualizations informed by the best of human formation resources and psychology firmly grounded in the perennial teachings of the Catholic Church. And I am so glad that you are with me on this mission to much more deeply understand, quote, borderline, unquote, personality dynamics from a fresh perspective. And today I offer you episode 126 of this IIC podcast titled Borderline Personalities, Your Questions Answered by Dr. Greg Bataro. We are recording live with our audience on November 13th, 2023, and the recording of this episode was is released on all the podcast platforms on Monday, November 20th, 2023. Now, I got to tell you about this Catholic psychologist named Greg Bataro who I am so pleased to have with me as a guest on this episode. Dr. Greg is the founder and executive director of the Catholic Psych Institute. He's one of the real pioneers in bringing the best of psychology to human formation and to bringing human formation to realms outside of just psychotherapy and counseling. And I've long held that psychotherapy and counseling do not hold a monopoly on human formation. Human formation existed long before therapy and counseling existed. And there are so many resources we can tap into in our Catholic tradition to help with that. Dr. Green has been a pioneer in human formation work for the Catholic Church. He graduated many years ago from the Institute of, uh, for Psychological Sciences, now, kn- now known as Divine Mercy University with his doctorate in psychology. I met him about a decade ago through the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. We've been in touch ever since. He is the host of the Being Human podcast, where he shares with his listeners his pioneering approach to becoming fully human, wholly human. Check that out on all the major podcast platforms. It's in the top 1% of podcasts worldwide with more than 150 episodes. It comes out weekly, and he was gracious enough to have me on in episodes 35 and 36, and so glad that you, Dr. Greg, can be here on mine. He's authored a number of books. He's best known for The Mindful Catholic, Finding God One Moment at a Time. And he also runs some communities like the Integrated Life Community out of the Catholic Psych Institute. And we're going to hear more about Dr. Greg's adventures and his endeavors at the end of this podcast. We'll have an opportunity to talk about them then. But I just want to let you know that I am so excited to have you on today. And I sort of had you on, kind of had you on in episode one twenty two uh of this of this podcast titled Narcissism and Gaslighting What Catholics uh what Catholics should know. You gave me permission to use some quotes from one of your podcast <laughs> episodes, right. right? And uh but it is so much better to have you on live and actually in person. So welcome, Dr. Greg.
1: Oh, thank you. That is so gracious. It's such a pleasure <laughs> to be here. I've I'm really so excited to be here with you. This is really amazing, and <laughs> and so many things that you pointed out. I I really, I just feel like there's so much mutual uh, work here, and, and admiration, and and camaraderie, and and this is just an awesome mission field to be partnering with you in. And so it's it's really my pleasure to be here with you. We
0: are we really do work in the same little neglected, I would say, corner of the vineyard of the church. Right, this whole human formation area which really got launched only 30, 31 years ago, roughly with uh, Pope John Paul II with his apostolic exhortation, human formation really being emphasized uh, for the first time. And I think it's just so, so important. So yeah, I do see as a kindred spirit here in this little corner of the vineyard.
1: Yeah, it's true. And it's it's really neglected. So, you know, anytime I hear, you know, or see a phrase that you use or hear something that you put out there, it resonates so deeply. And all I can think is, thank God, there's another one. There's another brother out there. Somebody else saying things that are, yeah, it's like, you know, it could get pretty lonely here in this little neglected corner. It's Absolutely. nice to feel like you're not going crazy as the only person thinking some of these things.
0: Well, I I was super excited. I said this in episode one twenty two of this podcast when I was out looking for understanding gaslighting, and I you know so I was doing an internet search. I went through all of my IFS sources, internal failing system sources, because I really wanted to understand from an IFS perspective. Here you are, not only breaking ground within the Catholic world, but really the best resource out there in all of the sort of parts and systems world, the internal family systems world. So I was like, yeah, Greg, you know, like that's just awesome. So oh, super so excited. Cool. Yeah. I
1: yeah. love hearing that. It's, you know, but it really is, it's isn't it the validation of just knowing that we have the the secret? You know, it's like we already know the blueprint of the human person. So uh, we, get to che- we really eating. get to cheat, don't we? Kind of we like do. compared to
0: everybody else. <laughs> it's
1: cheating. Yep. i feel like that all the time it's it's really it's it's really an unfair advantage but it's not even really the same fight it's not a fair (laughs) fight to start with and it's we're we're battling a very different battle in the first place so absolutely absolutely
0: so a couple of things it is so good to have our live audience with us right um this is again episode 126 and we are Going to be opening this up first. Doctor Greg and I are going to talk for about fifteen or twenty minutes, just to really be able to tap his expertise and to to take in what he wants to share with us about this quote borderline end quote uh, dynamics. What is the most important takeaway? So we're gonna we're gonna cover that. And then we're going to open this up for for questions and answers. Now, remember, we don't provide any clinical services in Souls and Hearts. We don't provide any therapy or counseling or assessment or diagnostics or anything like that on a podcast. It's really not possible. Um, But we can discuss our experiences. We can share experiences. We can ask questions. We can dive into things more deeply. There's so much we can do to help with our own human formation in this forum that doesn't involve clinical services. All right, Dr. Greg. Well, I, I'm going to just start off with a, with a big question here, if that's okay. Um, and just ask you, what is the most important thing? If there was one most important thing that you want us to know about borderline personality dynamics, what is that one thing?
1: You know, I, I think the one thing is, is that every person, including people with borderline personality disorder, whatever that is, are made in the image of God. And it's, it's an experience in relationship with people that can really test the limits of how much we believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and it really tests our faith and it really tests our own emotional stability and our own emotional regulation, our own our own sort of sense of self. And it, it, it will hold true, as it always does for every single human person, that, that every person is made in the image of God. And when we really look, we will find under the surface of every distress, every emotional symptom, every personality pattern, somehow there is the core of goodness that we believe in as Catholics and our Catholic anthropology made in the image of God. We are not dung piles covered over with snow and we are not fundamentally and fatally flawed. But we are, as you said, grace, grace is perfecting our nature. We have something good to start with in very deep need of grace. And so we can look and we can see if we look, we will find where the goodness is and and i find that in our culture in our world and especially secular psychology it it becomes very easy to forget that with a lot of pejorative kind of descriptions and diagnoses and and diagnostic criteria and models so that that i think that's the 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 most important if you if you were pushing me to really boil it down to the one mm-hmm. most important thing mm-hmm. that's that's where i'm gonna land
0: we're made in the image and likeness of God. And, and I would just tack on to that, that a diagnostic label, and there's lots of issues with diagnostic labels, but that does not strip us of us being beloved little sons and daughters of God. Amen. You know, that, that, that is also our identity. And even though it can be really tough to see it in our own selves sometimes, it can be tough to see it in people that we're close to, that we live with, or that we that we're in relationship with. That yeah, to, to to tack on to that, being made in the image and likeness of God, but also this idea that yeah, we're beloved little sons and daughters of God.
1: Amen. And then you know, sort of a derivative of that, or the second step of that is is that you know we are all flawed. At the level of concupiscence <laughs> and then and we just take different forms mm-hmm. and you know you bring up being you know little sons and daughters and i was every time i hear her say that i think of saint therese but one of my favorites and you know one of the most profound mystical heroic saintly doctorish kinds of insights that she had was that we are all in this together in the same boat <laughs> when she was praying for the, the convict who was to be hung for, for murder. And she, and she wrote about how she would be sitting at the same table as him in heaven. And she knew that he, she would get him in there and she would be there. And they, would, they were deserving of sitting at the same table. It's like, we're all in this together. And the, the, the minute, microscopic, almost indiscernible differences between my version of concupiscence and imperfection and yours or the worst criminal in relationship to the infinite perfection of god is not worth squabbling over
2: <laughs>
1: and and it's like yeah so people are are wounded and flawed yes and as am i and and so let's figure this thing out together
0: beautiful beautiful so there's a lot of misunderstanding about borderline personality dynamics and i'm just really curious what you think in your experience, what your experience has been, what do Catholics misunderstand about borderline personalities? What do they not get? And, 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 and just kind of flesh that out for us a little bit, what kind of misconceptions are out there in the Catholic world?
1: Sure. Well, I think, you know, I I mean, I think you did a wonderful job in the last episode uh, in explaining the sort of fundamentals from a secular perspective and, And the way that we our our theoretical orientation is very much in in the line of like a psychodynamic approach. So, and I think you had mentioned McWilliams and, Mm -hmm. you know, we use, you know, Tiber and, and Benjamin. And, and so, you know, we look at these needs that are expressed through these different disorders. And what we, what, what we see there is at the heart of it is this, is this intense need for not being abandoned, for being nurtured, for being protected, so a person develops personality patterns, behavioral patterns to sort of manipulate that out of people. And then when they start to get it, then there's intense terror that it's going to be removed or rejected or abandoned. and And so there's this constant push and pull mm-hmm. but I think and and so kind of going off of that foundation, we can realize that if you're if you're the one in that situation, if you're if you're with somebody in relationship with somebody that is acting that way, it feels violent, mm-hmm. and it can be emotionally or even physically violent. And I think the the first misperception by Catholics, non Catholics alike, is that this is, uh, you know, somebody's out to get you. Somebody is is taking it out on you. So it's about you. And you know, I think obviously all this would be pretty consistent with with parts parts work and ifs as well. But you know, to really take that step back, and and the first fundamental sort of awareness to clear up some misconception is that nothing this person is doing is about you. It's it's not about you personally. It's not about what you did or didn't do at the level of personhood of self of of your real identity, your real intention, and and so and then second of all. You know, to really to see that as a, a real restriction of freedom, the person does not have freedom operating out of personality disorder, and that's a general principle. You know, when we when we talk about a Catholic anthropology, there's there's a need for human freedom. We talk about self determination, and this is John Paul II's anthropology that that grounds all the work that we do. He he talked about bringing out the full awareness of our action. What we do, what we say, even what we think or how we feel, and having full cognitive awareness, full conscious awareness of how we're acting so that we can make choices. That it's out of choice that we are acting with freedom that we can then engage self determination to become the saints that we're created to become. And there are so many factors that limit the freedom that we have. And you know, addiction is, is an obvious example. You know, we, we, we could talk about that pretty, pretty easily. And and there will be layers and levels of limitations upon human freedom. And so I think it's just really helpful to at least create a paradigm where that language is okay. And we can separate from the behavior, the, the words, the actions are hurtful, maybe even abusive. Um, certainly unacceptable, you know, we need to create space and not be subject and victimized by certain things like that um, without personalizing it, either against yourself or, or, or thinking about the other person as being the sort of free, fully free originator of these kinds of behaviors.
0: Because so much of this is happening from the past. Would you agree? Like so much of this, of what they're reacting to Absolutely. This is is stuck 10, 20, maybe 40 years ago.
1: Absolutely. So many of those so many of those parts reacting with their own noteworthy and respectable and understandable uh, patterns of protection, Mm -hmm. you know, really. And and so that's 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 what's so disorienting being with somebody in relationship. It's like, I'm not hurting you this way. I am not a threat to you. I've committed my life to you. I'm here for you. I've proven my loyalty to you over and over and over again. And yet you're still acting like I'm going to leave you tomorrow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's not about you. And it's, it's that protector part that's, that's, that's showing up to, to still be on guard and creating behaviors that are to protect against being left because to that part and to that person in that history, very, uh, really was left was abandoned on some level and and was neglected and so and and just to throw in there too with the catholic piece of it as well we always have the catholic right right the the other parts which is like well this person needs to pray more this person needs to be more (laughs) virtuous this person should go to confession and of course all those things may be true but those are definitely not going to be the answer to the deepest wounds of somebody suffering with borderline type behaviors
0: yeah, that's that there's this there's this temptation that we can have in the Catholic world that we can spiritualize these things, you know that we can spiritually bypass these things and and really what we're called to especially for something that's happening in the the natural realm we need natural means. And that doesn't mean that we that we ignore the spiritual not at all, but we we really have this mission you and i to bring in this human formation stuff because the disruption here is in the human formation realm and that can have spiritual consequences and it does but we want to make sure that we don't interpret that as being primarily a spiritual problem
1: yes exactly yeah. so yeah I, that that's that's the the real work of integration you know this is it's really you know I, sometimes i th- you know, break open integration as being. You know, I think of us of, of us as missionaries of the incarnation, and, and because so much of of the Catholic and Christian spirituality space is is almost, it's a, it's like the incarnation is too too much to handle. <laughs> too like great, God became real. Too it's too much. Too bodily. Too embodied and too like the stuff that we're so disgusted <laughs> with. Like God did not become this. Right and 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 then the the sort of derivatives of that become like okay so to be to be spiritual we have to leave behind this stuff right and then that then includes the brain and the hormones and the chemicals and family dynamics and <laughs> genetics and to rise above it all right to rise to above it all yeah shed these dirty body suits and <laughs> ascend into heaven yeah yep, yep. <laughs> absolutely
0: there's there's a temptation that way there's a temptation that way so So I want to jump to the end in a sense. And if there was one or two lines, one or two thoughts that you would say, write this down. This is the takeaway that I really want you to go home with. This is if there's one thing you remember from this podcast episode, this is it. This line, this line. What would those be, Dr. Gray? Oh boy. <laughs> Distill it all down for
1: us. I feel like yeah. I'm in like a
0: copywriting meeting right now. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I know it's a tough job, and you know what? Yeah. If you have to pass, you pass. But no, no, I just well, want well, you to well, struggle
1: well, with it a little bit here. Well, so you, you did promise well. there's going to be some editing afterwards. So you to polish up <laughs> and make it sound That's good, right. right? That's right. I will. I will. <laughs> um, I okay. Couple lines that I think are really important. I think people with borderline personality disorder are children of God looking for love. Mm-hmm. And people with borderline personality disorder are children of God who deserve love. And so I think if we if we break those two things open, we can see that number one, it helps us understand what's going on and and create that emotional space, because I'm I'm imagining that either either a person is really interested in this topic because they're most likely they're dealing with somebody else in their life who has either been diagnosed or they think should be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Or maybe it's a person who has been diagnosed with it or thinks or suspects about themselves that maybe they match up with some of the symptoms they can Google and get from WebMD. So what we wanna really break that open is to say, this is one flavor of a constellation of symptoms or patterns or behaviors um, that, as you've said already, don't even fit into a neat box. And it all speaks the same story, that we are made for love, to be loved, and to love, and that we are seeking desperately for that. And when we are wounded in relationships, and the opposite of love is what has been provided to us and has formed us, we will have necessary, God-given consequences to that. God built us to have defense mechanisms. God built us to develop personality patterns. He didn't want the sin or the imperfection or the concupiscence in the first place, but he built us to have a survival instinct, which is connected to our defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. When you get burned, your skin throbs. When you have a wound, you develop a a callus or a scab. That's because we are made with a core for uh, integrity, for a principle of life with a survival instinct. So, we have to see each other in that light. and then the second part is also really important, and I think is also probably the most difficult for people who are in relationship with somebody with BPD or borderline like patterns is that people th- these people deserve love. Now that sounds foofy and great and warm and fuzzy. But when it comes to borderline patterns of behavior, typically the people in relationship, have a lot of work to do to learn how to love more. And that can be very challenging because love is not just giving in. Love is not just uh, avoiding conflict. Love is not just having peace in all relationships. Sometimes, and in these cases, most of the time, real love is firm boundaries. And that can be incredibly difficult. And that can mean that somebody has to evaluate why they're in this relationship, what they need, what they're trying to get out of it, what they're going to have to sacrifice, what they are going to have to mourn the loss of and grieve not having for what for love to actually love. So I, I'm going to, you know, I think it they, they both, both things need to be unpacked a little bit, but yeah, again, trying yeah. to summarize in a sentence that, that we can, we can look at people suffering in these ways as being children who deserve, uh, who are longing for love and who deserve to be loved.
0: Well, I so like how you're circling back around and centering this on love, right? The two great commandments in our faith, to love God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you also brought up that, that love that sometimes gets neglected. There's three loves in those two commandments. And that is to, as you're trying to love someone in your life that has borderline dynamics, you don't neglect to love yourself, right? So there's a way that these loves can all be in harmony, uh, even though it can be really hard, especially initially to figure out what that looks like, there's a way that these loves can be in harmony and they might not look like what you expect it to look like at first blush,
1: you know. So, amen. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
0: So, I want to go ahead and just open this up. I'm curious if folks are ready to start asking questions. We definitely want to hear your voices. We want to know where you're coming from with regard to this whole question of borderline personality dynamics. So we've got one in the chat that says, so Dr. Greg, how do you stay in relationship with someone who is threatening to harm themselves, harm you or harm other family members? Someone who refuses help with mental health issues. All we could figure out was to block this person's access to us. What other options are there?
1: How to stay in a relationship with someone who's threatening harm themselves. Um, Well, there's a, there's a number of, of levels there. There's a number of different problems. Um, You know, I think the baseline, first of all, really important thing for everybody to understand is that, and this is actually sometimes surprising for people to learn um, that even trained psychologists are not, trained to be responsible for stopping somebody from harming themselves. Yes. And you know, it, 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 we, what we're trained in is how to not bear the burden of holding that responsibility, even implicitly. And that takes training because it takes practice to sometimes say, you know what, this is not my responsibility. It's not my problem. And and so just as a fundamental principle you can't be in relationship with anybody healthy or unhealthy where you are holding that responsibility like it's your job to stop somebody from harming themselves. If you are ever 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 having any concern that somebody is going to hurt themselves or you or somebody else you call 911. There are people who are trained to bear the burden of that responsibility. And, you know, of course we can get into nuance in terms of actually breaking that open a little bit more, but in general, if it's ever, if it's ever a question and you haven't been trained in knowing the the nuance, that's what 911 is for. So there's no relational dynamic in which it's appropriate to think that the way that you're in relationship with this person is somehow lessening their threat to harm themselves. Uh, or, or somebody else, or you. Um, and so in, in with, with borderline patterns, it is often the case that they will use very extreme statements and expressions to, to garner attention or pity or empathy or compassion uh, or fear. And, and so it's important to learn how to not play that game. How to not step into that space as if you're going to be moved by their statements. And so at when it when it means somebody says, If if you don't call me back, I'm going to kill myself, you call nine one one. You know, and then maybe you let them know help is on the way. Or, you know, you 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 maybe navigate that. Specifically, so again, we're we're talking in very hypothetical generalizations right, right, here. Right. We're not. I'm not giving any specific clinical advice, but it's that kind of thing to change the way you're thinking, being in relationship with people in those situations, um, and then, you know, and if the person refuses to get help, um, you know, that's that's another very wide spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's going to be tough to say. There's a one size fits all kind of answer there. And it also depends on the kind of relationship. Right, right. If you're vowed to somebody in marriage who's suffering in these ways, that's a very different situation than if you started dating somebody and it's been two weeks and you see borderline tendencies. Your options are probably very different in that situation. Right, right. Um, So there's a lot of variability within that as well.
0: So, yeah, so I'm just sort of hearing here to to remember, too, that there's some kind of attempt to seek a good, even though that attempt might be really disordered, even though that attempt might be maladaptive, you know, to try to seek some sort of good. And so one thing that you can also do is sort of try to think between the or read between the lines, if you know the person, to think about, like, what might be the need the attachment need or the integrity need that this extreme threat or this this behavior or this 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 pattern of speech is representing. But again, if you're you have to assess where you are with it. It's really easy to get destabilized. And so you do want to assess kind of what's your capacity to respond effectively to the person at that time. So sometimes the best possible thing you can do. Uh, you know, in the spirit of sort of primum non nocere, first do no harm, is to withdraw and to kind of really take care of where you are so that you don't exacerbate the situation any worse than it has to be. We have to be yeah. humble about what our, our capacities really are.
1: Yeah, and then you and then you get a support system. You know, you need, you need your own relationships where you can feel supported in that and creating and maintaining that space. People who know what kind of support you need not just any any friend that you might have right. that can commiserate but right. somebody who who can give you real solid direction on creating some space and that could be professional it could be you know it could be spiritual it could be friendship but but we need each other we need relationships and usually these kinds of relationships are are distressing at the deepest core levels and and so we need to counter balance that as well well, I see a hand up from uh, from Marianne.
0: Come join us, Marianne. Let's let's hear what here's hear what you got in your mind.
3: I really resonated, and this is a a family member that that has this um, with with what Doctor Patero said about there's real terror that one will be abandoned, um, and uh, and and that so much of this is a reaction from the past, the patterns of protection. You know, we see this. Um, but but the common themes, and I don't know if this is common to, to borderline, is anxiety and anger. Just the, these seems to be coping mechanisms. Is, is that pretty consistent or is that maybe just this particular individual? But it seems to be the anger seems to be a, a way of trying to manipulate or trying to take charge of the situation. It just seems like... If, if some people on a scale of one to 10 are calm at two or three, this person seems to always live, you know, when they're calm at seven, and they're always bumping up against 10. So I'm just wondering if anxiety and anger are a big part of this.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, you know, the whole the whole constellation is sort of grounded on some deep anxiety. You know, there's this constant fear of abandonment. and And even if, the person is sort of on the surface dealing with their distress in that moment with an anger part and a protector in that form. It's, it's going to be grounded on an anxiety that's underlying everything else, as opposed to like a narcissism where there's going to be, you know, a lot less of that sort of pervasive anxiety and you, you know, you, you might not see it as much, but you, you know, the person with anger that's that's coming through with with borderline is it, it, the anger is not going to be as well founded in other words it's going to be a lot uh it's going to be a lot less stable and and can often dissipate just as quickly as it emerges and you might see people switching between anger and anxiety or anger and fear or or anger and a kind of dependency and a please don't leave me um based on subtle nuances of reactions of being in relationship with that person. If they pick up on, you know, it's like they might drill you with some anger over and over and over again. And if as long as they're backing you into the corner, that might actually increase but or, or, or sustain. But then as soon as they see that, you know what, you've had enough and you 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 have an internal shift. And you might be ready to walk away. You know, that could dissipate in a second, that anger and turn into into fear and anxiety or or something else. So you will see those those patterns coexist a lot more. Uh, and, and I think um, I think disorder or uh, disorganized or chaotic is often often a term used to to accompany those kinds of symptoms. Yeah, thank you for that, Marianne.
0: Nora, I've got a hand up for you what what would you like to ask
4: yeah hi hi um really grateful to be on this with you guys um so this is a bit of a personal question as someone who simply resonates with some of the characteristics of PTSD just in general google you know take that with a grain of salt but this tendency of i think self-hatred i heard mentioned i think My question is this, if there's this heavy strain of perhaps self hatred that so much of my perhaps Catholic standard barrier just calls that a sin in a very spiritual sense, but then in the natural sense, I'm wondering in like the natural realm, if there's like this disorder that can create that, like in both those things, what is the role of concupiscence and wounds? that can sort of distort that sense of self. I don't know if I'm making sense. And perhaps that can wounds make like the pull of concupiscence stronger or can wounds create a natural disorder that isn't necessarily even thin. Does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect sense. It's, it, it's a very complex, sophisticated question because you're bringing in a number <laughs> of different elements here that are, it, it's really good to parse all of these things out. Okay. You know, I think you know, it's, you know, we there's all different kinds of sin that we can talk about. And, you know, in terms of active, again, intentional sin, which requires freedom, you know, especially if we're talking about things that would be a mortal sin, but then we could talk about sort of lesser venial sin. And then we could talk about just the effect of sin in in the world in a very generic sense. Now, the woundedness that accompanies the, the the response and reaction to being wounded is not a sin. So developing a an identity as a psychological reaction to being wounded by somebody else's sin or somebody else's wounds. And it's, you know, it could be either or we're not saying it's one or the other, but it could be either or. But the reaction to either is not a sin. Ultimately, this all goes back to sin because it all goes back to the garden. Yeah. And the the identity that you're talking about is the identity of being a daughter of God or a son of God made in his image as Adam and Eve were. And the original lie The original wound is the devil, the serpent lying to Eve to 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 plant a seed of doubt in her mind that the father does not love her infinitely and that the father is maybe out for his own design, that the father doesn't want her to have the knowledge that he has. And so that's why he set up the rule about the fruit in the garden. And actually, there's a different way if you don't do it the father's way and you're going to be protecting yourself from his not loving you that's the original sin and that's the original lie and that's the original wound and that as i said earlier every one of us is affected by that wound and it takes a lot of different shapes and sizes and flavors and colors but that's ultimately it and and the solution is to come back to the core truth of our identity and our reality that we are loved into existence and that we are sons and daughters of the father who is infinitely loving us. So, so that the self-hatred is, is not, again, I'm not here to, I'm not your spiritual director. I'm not a priest. I'm not a theologian. Um, but as a psychological wound, when I see people develop a constellation, a, a, a sort of a, a system of belief, a narrative, about themselves as being unworthy and lowly. And, and I see so much of that being a reaction to the way that things have transpired in their life. It is not a sin. It's a wound. And it needs the healing grace of God. It needs the loving, the loving salve of the Father to be poured into it, to be embraced. And that's where we come back to Therese, to climb up into that father's lap and let him just hug you and love you and let him teach you in that love who you actually are because you're his daughter. It's it's a bit different than I think a lot of times people have from, uh, again, that spiritual bypassing kind of perspective. We'd rather have these easy categories that if I have this problem, in a sense, it'd be a lot nicer if it was a sin. We could just go confess and be done with it. Like, we get used to that. It's like, that's great if we can have a sin to just go confess and then it's gone. Unfortunately, wounds are not like that when there's so many other layers of, of psychological complexity and, and, and reaction to the way we've been mistreated and misloved in our lives. And I, I would
0: add, too, that things can be disordered without being sinful. And it's a really important distinction. So if a person is born without arms, you know, like a thalidomide baby, that's disordered. The body wasn't supposed to be that way, but that wasn't a result of the infant's sin, right? So a lot of times you can have impulses, desires, you can have attitudes, you can have beliefs that are disordered, but not sinful. They wouldn't become sinful until you embrace them or you endorse them internally. You give them sanction, you give them life, you nurture them within you. You know, if they come up spontaneously as a, as a, as a sort of first moral act, they're not, they don't carry that spontaneous sort of uh, on, or, or if they're unwanted, they don't carry the weight of sin because they're not willed. Right. So one of the things that I know you do, Doctor Greg, a lot. Uh, this is part of the whole mindfulness thing. Is just, it's just seeing if we can suspend judgment about these things until we can understand them more deeply. Seeing if we can take a step back. Let's take a look at some of the the, the of what's going on inside, in a way that allows things that are real to exist in our own minds you know, to just accept
1: that reality. And, and yes, and yes, gosh, so much of that is so good. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, um, you know, and I, I don't want to, I know you're going to talk a lot more about parts work and, and, you know, subsequent episodes, but, you know, it's also, it's also a fundamental inviting of compassion into yourself and a fundamental disposition to say, you know what? Okay. Part of me has a story that I am I deserve self-hatred. I'm not worth being loved. And, and if you can have that awareness as you're taking that step back and you're seeing that in yourself, you're opening space to then love that part of you. So that part is not offering compassion, but that part doesn't need to yet because you can offer compassion to that part. It's like okay part of me hates me well i wonder if there might not be a way that that would be understandable to that part like if we started with an assumption of goodness with compassion and you approach that part and said why why am i not worthy of being loved you know, instead of just like, oh, that's a sin. I'm not supposed to think that way. I have to stop saying that. I have to stop doing that. And we're just repressing and kicking out and burying those parts of us. That's not actually loving ourselves. So we create that space and then we invite love and compassion into it. And then you actually talk to that part and you realize like, actually, all of you is lovable, even that part <laughs> that is saying that you're not lovable. <laughs> And it's like you have a sense of self that's bigger than that part and, and more mature and more loving and compassion. You sort of tap it on the head. You know, it's like, yes, of course, I know I'm not lovable. But why? Why? Let's just talk about that for a minute. Why? Why would you think that I'm not lovable? What would what would happen if I was lovable? <laughs> but let me understand you and what you're thinking and why you're saying this and why you want me to cut myself or, you know, do all these things that that we're going to let's just talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're and you're bringing love to the part, and then and then things start to change.
0: You're really talking about being with yourself, you know. Yeah, just being with yourself with some gentleness, with some compassion, and and I just think that's so powerful. And yeah, it's just music to my ears to hear you talking parts stuff too. Dr. Greg. I, <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> Thank you both. That was that was awesome. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Bridget, I see a hand from you.
5: Thank you, Dr. Peter. I have a question. How would a Catholic parent with a spouse having BPD characteristics navigate teaching or picking up the pieces with young children who witness severe emotional dysregulation as a somewhat common experience without undermining the spouse or triangulating?
0: Hmm. Hmm. I'm glad that you're getting this one, Doctor Greg. <laughs> uh, you know, I was I... going
1: to ask if you wanted to take one of these. <laughs> this is how I treat my guests, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Oh my goodness! Sorry, <laughs> sorry. You no, can no, no. It. This okay. is this is
0: no, and I, I I can help out too. This is really really good. This is really important because one of the concerns that parents have in these in these situations is what about the children? Right. And that's where a lot of fear can can come up. And I'm going to say one thing before uh, I turn this over to Dr. Greg, and that is before time began, before the world was created, God knew exactly the situation that every husband would be in with his wife and every wife would be in with her husband and their children. And there was a plan for the difficulties that are going on in that household right now. that it's not something that's just sort of happening randomly outside of his awareness. You know, oftentimes we can kind of take a deistic type of approach to these sorts of things to, and to think, okay, what, what, what might, what good might be coming from this? How can this be a, a call? God has a plan for each of the children. He loves them more. Then any human father, human mother can love their children because they're his children, right? So let's just, I just want to frame it in terms of that first, you know, so that we're not left out here twisting in the wind, abandoned by God, you know, left to our own devices in an impossible situation. So I just wanted to frame it that way before I handed it to you, Doctor Greg. So
1: yes, thank you. No, I think that's a great setup. And Bridget, I, I, you know, I, I want to apologize. I, my making light of the question is only was was one part of my uh, of me trying to make uh make make a point of how how deep and difficult this experience really is, and this is a common. It's a common type of conflict. Um in many different forms, not just in, in dealing with BPD or these patterns, but I, you know, I think it's helpful to, and, and Dr. Peter and I have not discussed this particular issue before, so I don't know that, you know, it's, it's okay also between colleagues to maybe yeah. have different approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not saying that I think we will, but uh, just to say that this is a, such a really good question and it may actually uh, bring up differences that we could talk about in different angles, but um, I do think that, I think that our culture, is our Catholic culture, is is has been very influenced by a, a couple of misunderstandings about marriage and the relationship between men and women, and the role of the submission of spouses, and especially between men and women, um, you know, and, and and the and the disparity and and the roles of man and woman. But I think that just to to lay this out there as a frame, um in many ways we're in need of deep healing and and sort of growing in our in our understanding i think that is if you know it's really important that in catholic marriage we are submitting ourselves first to god and the context of our submission is our if we're married is the vow of marriage and that therefore the spouse is the recipient of our gift of self as a proxy or as a context for how we are actually making the gift of self to God. We are giving ourselves entirely over to God through our spouse. So there cannot be a contradiction in which we are serving our spouse, submitting ourselves, in which we are not submitting ourselves to truth and love and goodness as the transcendental qualities of God. And again, that that may be a little bit different than, especially some Protestant understanding that, and I think some of that has seeped into our church, um, of this sort of very separated, superficial understanding of marriage as a vocation to holiness. It's almost disintegrated from the relationship to truth itself, himself, and love himself. So... In the psychological areas, it's a little bit more difficult to to parse that out. But let me start off with an example of somebody that I know in in the realm of physical uh, illness. And I know of a couple in which they got married. Um, and early on in the marriage, the wife uh, ended up having a thought disorder emerge. And she had a psychosis that took over. And for the next 40, 50 years of Of this couple and family's life, Um, working around that, managing that became the sole purpose and focus of their family mission. And 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 through the advent of great medication and and wonderful treatment and all sorts of things, you know, after a couple of decades, uh, her symptoms started to lessen, and then they had a beautiful family life and a beautiful uh, sort of witness to the world. Um, There are many times. When dad had to say, no, the aliens are not coming to abduct us, and that's actually what she was packing all the kids up to get in the in the van and and take off across the country. And and the husband had to stop, had to take, you know, the bags out of the car, had to stop them from driving out across the country. She was terrified. Legitimately, that was the world she lived in. And he had to tell the kids, your mom is not well. Your mom does not see the truth and what's real and what's, and no kids, we don't have to be afraid of aliens and everything is going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. At the end of life, at the, or after a couple decades, decades, um, this, this man developed Parkinson's disease, severely debilitating Parkinson's. And at the end of their marriage, uh, before he died, the last, I think, probably decade, was her serving him. And taking care of him and taking care of the kids, and then the kids were afraid of losing their dad, and the mom had to say everything's going to be okay, and you know this is not the end, and even though this is what it looks like and this is how dad is doing, you know we believe in life everlasting, and she was the one to bring the family back to truth. So I love this story for a couple of reasons. It shows a deeper truth about marriage. It shows a deeper orientation to a higher calling to love and beauty and goodness and truth. And it's easier to see in a physical ailment. and obviously schizophrenia is a psychological ailment, but it's it's uh, you know more easy to conceptualize that as a physiological brain neurological kind of experience. And then obviously Parkinson's. I think we can extrapolate from that a number of points that are true for emotional dysregulation, and especially for something that's a personality disorder, that the ultimate role is to serve truth and love. And sometimes loving means setting hard boundaries. Sometimes loving means grieving the loss of what you signed up for in marriage and what you want in return, what you hoped for in return, what you would love to get in return. And it means maybe, you know, uh, marrying somebody who ends up. I I know another couple that the on the wedding or on the honeymoon the husband had a, a surfing accident and was a paraplegic for the rest of his life, and that's not what they signed up for, but praise God, I hopefully it got them to heaven. So there's different ways to look at the situation, and it means sometimes putting yourself in the middle, and 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 jumping into the breach. And holding that space to teach your children what love really looks like. And again, that can have a lot of variations and spectrum. And I'm, you know, not giving any specific, you know, direction here, but it means discerning apart from the emotional reaction of one's spouse what the school of love is going to be built on, taking into context the reaction and emotional disposition of one spouse, but not as the form of the curriculum. Does that make sense? Okay.
0: And a lot of this is detailed in in, in Castis Canubis uh, mm. on human marriage. Pope Pius XI, 1930, excellent document. That's a document I go back to a lot. There's a lot of depth and richness in Castis Canubis on human marriage.
1: That's a good reference. And also just to be very clear, when I say that in Catholic culture or seeped into our Catholic I don't mean magisterially, right? In, right. And in, in, right, in fact, right. the magisterium, as you've pointed out, is very clear on what our true purpose and vocation right, is. Right. But sometimes the cultural manifestation of of our faith can take different turns.
0: Well, a lot of times we we assume we know when we haven't read. You know, we haven't yeah. read the catechism. We haven't read. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of the church documents. Some people are really astonished to find that what they thought was there is not really what the texts say. It's not really what the church is teaching. So Isabella.
5: I recently, somebody brought to my awareness that there are certain like characteristics and behaviors associated with BPD that they see in me. And so for me, this was like Friday. So for me, these past couple of days, it's been like trying to discern, okay, how do I approach like true authentic healing so that you know these things aren't continuing to wound people like in my like, current relationships so how do I approach that healing like on an integrated level not like falling into the trap of like okay I want to get a formal diagnosis and and then maybe using that to justify my actions or going the other route and and like over spiritualizing it and saying all right I just need to pray it away go to confession some of those things we mentioned earlier. How do I like discern that route without falling into either extreme?
1: I think that's a great question. It's number one. I mean, it's it's a really humble, beautiful question in itself, you know. And so there, there's there's lots of different things you can do with that openness. Um, number one, and I'm not saying pray it away, but pray for discernment and direction a lot of times we forget that our greatest aid is prayer and i'm not saying pray to be healed of bpd i'm not saying pray that you don't have these problems anymore it's like but just pray as step one of any discernment process about anything so then you're opening yourself up to the inspiration and grace of the holy spirit that maybe the holy spirit says maybe get diagnosed like have an assessment if it's that level or maybe you know maybe the holy spirit inspires you to say like check in with different people or check in with a professional i would also say that in general the treatments for bpd very specifically and clinically speaking are really healthy for just about everybody (laughs) so you know and i teach we have a certification program and we have all of our students go through in fact we have a couple of our students here right now really happy to see you guys the the second half we In teaching the psychology, we do a deep dive into these personality disorders. And a whole quarter, the assignments for re- the reflections are to give voice to the parts in us that are the same as the personality disorders that we're studying. So in other words, if we ever hope to be able to accompany anybody who is having some of these experiences, we have to see them in ourselves. And and the ways that we approach our own borderline parts, whether we're you know fully blended with them or not, we all have these parts, and the way that we approach them is going to be the same. So you know, I think uh, Dr. Peter mentioned in in the the prior episode DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, and there's different modules of DBT, and if you start to break open what DBT looks like. It's like, actually, I need to practice a lot more of this in my own life. And if I thought about some of these things before I get into a tense conversation with my wife, I bet that conversation will go a lot better. And some of that is as easy as as mindfulness. Like, obviously, we already know a lot about that. So, you know, figuring out how to get space between you and your feelings, figuring out how to sort of feel in your body where you're feeling certain things, and then you can sort of depersonalize from certain uh, thoughts and feelings that you're having, um, not identify with everything so deeply. And, you know, some of those internal experiences that go along with those kinds of traits, you can you can work on whether or not you have a diagnosable disorder. And, you know, I would say, you know, if I was walking with you f- over some time, the, our approach typically would be like, let's try that. see See how much traction you get you know are there certain fights in your life that keep happening certain distressful moments that you keep experiencing certain things you're you're really afraid of well put into practice some of those things and see what happens after trying it out for two weeks for three weeks and maybe keep a little journal and mark where those experiences are and where they go and then maybe see like okay like maybe this is budging maybe this is not budging um, but you get to know a little bit more about what's going on. So it can be a helpful sort of uh, path to to have pointed out for you that you can take that humility into that next step of even just kind of internalizing it for yourself.
5: Thank you so much.
1: And I, w- I would just add, it helps to be able to see
0: yourself through the eyes of someone who's attuned to you and who loves you. And I don't mean necessarily loves you in terms of a romantic or family sense, but, you know, that idea of seeing myself through the eyes of another can really help us with perspective when we're struggling to understand what's real or what's going on inside. And I, too, was very struck just by the the humility and the beauty of the question, you know, so I'm super excited for you that you can ask this. And there can be an openness to hearing answers, because if you seek Isabella, you'll find. You'll get what you need to know.
5: Thank you so much for both
2: of you. You're
0: welcome. Thank you. Annabelle.
2: Thank you for taking my questions, Dr. Peter and Dr. Greg. I have a 23-year-old son who got married to a woman that I suspect has, um, she has patterns of narcissistic BPD. And so I know there's a lot of wounds there, but two to three months in the marriage, uh, my son started a cut-off behavior, which he never did in the past, cut off in terms of not responding to any calls or texts. And then, uh, then... Later on, he would reach out to us. He said he was in turmoil. I've noticed that he had not taken care of himself physically and emotionally. I've seen a a stark change in my son. And they have a one-year-old daughter. And um, she had controlled everything to the point where we don't, even pictures on the phone or uh, a FaceTime, she doesn't allow that for our granddaughter. So there's a lot of control, and my son showed up uh they she had texted and asked for space, and we were a little confused with the space she requested because we don't we don't get to go to their home unless we have an appointment. We weren't allowed to meet up for you know a family gathering. Uh, We didn't see them last Christmas, but then in two months after Christmas, she's asking for space. So I was confused, like, what space is she asking when we don't go see them? And we were limited in terms of what we can see with the granddaughter. And then they start they start she started um cutting off my son and isolated him but he came about 4 months ago he came to our house and he wasn't allowed to supposed to be not allowed to come inside our home and she would keep calling him and uh my son started crying and apologized to us and so 2 weeks ago my husband and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary so I invited them I sent them a, an invite and I I went all kinds of ways to reach out since they're not responding by phone or text. But finally, she replied um, and she said, no, we're not attending the event. And then she went on and threatened me that if you continue to reach out, that they will go farther and further away. And so I I ignored it because I've already sensed that there is some you know, borderline personality disorder. So my question is, how do I help my son? Because I don't think he is aware that he is in a relationship that is, there's no freedom. Really, I feel like there's an emotional abuse, but uh, being them very young, I, I, I say young, he's 23 and, and my daughter-in-law is 24. Um, I know they're learning to be married, but then at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of patterns of the BPD.
1: I would wonder what, what does your son feel about the dynamic
2: when he came and talked to us he just said she's very stubborn he said he's in turmoil he's not comfortable that he we don't see him we don't talk to him and we don't get to see his daughter uh, but then at the same time I kind of accounted like he's trying to be accommodating to her control and being so understanding but i don't i don't think he's happy about it but he made a comment one time i'm not strong enough and i feel so sorry for my son that he can't stand up and he doesn't have any autonomy to make a decision so for example i said uh, why can't we have facetime so i can see the baby crawl or move and he said if it was just me i would do facetime but she doesn't allow it
1: yeah you know i think i mean you know honestly again it's not something we could give any specific counsel to especially you you're bringing up family systems issues mm-hmm. and i know dr jerry is going to be talking about family systems um, not to push off another hard question onto somebody else. I guess Dr. Peter and I can both. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely
0: right. He's well, colluding he, and he, pushing uh, it off on Dr. That, Gary. That, and, and, and he did that. He, did, he came in and talked about narcissistic dynamics in families. He's going to do the same thing for us in December, on December 13th. Okay. We're going to have a special one that's focused really on family issues But one thing I I noted in what you were saying is that it sounds like your son loves you still. Like that hasn't gone away.
2: Yes. And I think
0: think we need to hold on to that. mm -hmm. And to remember that these situations tend not to be stable. We sometimes can worry that this is going to be the way it is for 10, 20, 30 years. And rarely does it have a course that's that simple. So I would go back to what you were saying before Dr. Greg what does it mean for you to love your son given these circumstances you know what does it mean to love your daughter-in-law given these circumstances and so I'm just curious if you have any more thoughts about that Dr. Greg
1: Yeah absolutely I was I was thinking already just about St. Monica Um, regardless of the family systems you're you're looking at what you can do what what's in your heart what's your direction what's your path to sainthood in this context in these circumstances and you know sometimes it means taking that approach of saint monica and and just pouring yourself out in prayer and serving the reality of the situation you know and so Again, all these little details, the nuances of the family systems are are going to be different for everybody, uh, you know? And so, you know, every once in a while, you know, I can imagine, and I don't know, but St. Monica must have made side comments to Augustine when he was living with a woman in his house, having illegitimate children, you know, I mean, maybe there's a place for that. Maybe there's not, maybe it's, you know, you, you take some time and you take a real step back. Maybe it's, you discern that you make a statement or you make an, another request the underlying principle is always going to be to 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 lay down your life in love to sacrifice your own needs and desires and especially as a grandparent when it's so painful you have so many hopes and dreams you've raised this child you've you've thought about the future you've had so many fantasies about the future so many hopes for his marriage for his life for your grandchildren and it just challenges the heck out of every one of those things but That's what God does. He challenges our expectations and He and He casts us out. He tells us to cast out into the deep. And he tells us to trust Him. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. It's like if the circumstances weren't dire, then it wouldn't require heroic trust. So we can't be thrown off by how dire it seems. And the more that you just reorient yourself back to the Father and to love to know that He's loving you as a daughter then you can love your son as a mother who's actually laying down her life, continuing to lay down her life as you have your whole life. And in this case, in this context, that means dealing with that pain and grieving the loss of not seeing your your, your grandchild's first steps or opening the Christmas presents this year. And that's a dagger in the heart. I know that, but it's also that's that's the path. And and there is a path, and there is one to walk, and God will give you the grace to sustain you by choosing a path of love.
2: Yes, thank you. I do. Um, I recognize that this is what's going to help me with my holiness and my sanctity.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a gift Amen. in here. There's a gift yeah. in here. Yeah. And
2: there's a purpose for what yeah. God is yeah. allowing to happen. Thank you.
1: Amen. You're welcome.
0: Well, Dr. K, I'd like to squeeze one more question in if we can. Sure. Uh, and before we sort of bring it to a close. Uh, Madeline.
6: Thanks, Dr. Peter. This isn't a question so much as, as a comment, because you said something. Uh, one of you, I can't remember who, <laughs> said um, in uh, response to maybe Isabella's beautiful question, to be seen through the eyes of a loving other you know what I'm referring to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So because I'm also somebody who's been, who has borderline tendencies at least. And uh, Dr. Greg, I was one of the first people in the mentorship program. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was so key for me, that relationship. Mm-hmm. It changed my life.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And now, you know, now I'm in, in RCC. And, as I come to understand sort of what goes on with me, I, I found that I'm finding that I, because I have a safe place, I know that Dr. Peter is not gonna tell me you shouldn't be feeling that. And I know that my therapist is not gonna tell me that either. It gives me a, a, a place to a firm foundation that I can hold on to as this stuff kind of goes around and it's making such a difference.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you. That's so beautiful. Well, and so Adeline, hopeful. Y- so it, hopeful. It, it, you're honestly, you're the, you know, it's what way to, way to crown off the day with something <laughs> that just <laughs> made it all. I could do this for a whole nother day and a long day. And I was like, you know, but this is why I do this. I, I thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so grateful for you showing up here, showing up now, expressing that, and giving voice to that. Because it is honestly, it gives it gives it gives me hope. It's your hope. And it's it's hopeful for everybody else struggling with these things. And it and it gives it just praise God. That's all I can say. Is praise God. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Madeline.
0: Well, I want to create a little space here. I know Madeline brought up the mentorship program. I know you've got a lot of interesting things going on, uh, Doctor Greg. So, <laughs> just give us give us a little sense of like what some of your offerings are uh, and sure. how they might be helpful. Yeah.
1: Well, we're we're basically doing two two things now. We're we're offering help to people looking for help, and then we're offering training for people that want to help others. Um, and so, you know, our model that we've developed that Madeline was alluding to is called the mentorship program. And it's a long story, I'll save everybody from right now. You can check <laughs> out my podcast to hear more about it. Um, but we basically, I, you know, I really just hit a wall and wanted to dig a little bit deeper than what secular psycho- psychology was offering as far as a, a method of, of working with people. And so it just really kind of, I took a little break. Little sabbatical and and prayed and reflected and dug deep and and just kind of imagined a different way um, to be able to walk with people on a daily basis to really enter into where people are to sort of leave behind the uh, the the sort of confines and and parameters of a secular broken relativistic system and so we created this new model called mentorship and so it's 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 a little different. Um, We're not meeting in real time once a week with people. We're meeting using a technology, uh, an app. Essentially, we have an encrypted walkie-talkie, and you you create a personal communication channel with a mentor, and then you get to talk every day back and forth um, and and really work on the things that you want to work on. Um, So you can check more about that out at at catholicpsych.com. And then there's a link there that goes to another site called iddmentor.com. Our model that we developed is called Integrated Daily Dialogic Mentorship, IDDM, and that's at iddmentor.com. Um, and, then, and then out of that, we developed uh, a program. We realized that so many people need, uh, need help and are looking for it, and teachers in, t- in the school systems and diocesan systems and parish life and everywhere in between everybody has the same issue, same problem. They need more help. They need more therapists to refer to Catholic therapists. They can trust. Um, And so I just realized too, there's, there's no reason why we have to all wait around for somebody to get licensed by the state and then hope that they're Catholic and then hope that they have a space open and also hope that they're affordable or in your insurance network or, or whatever the case might be. And actually a Catholic anthropology, and I know I know, Dr. Malinowski will agree with me on this, mm-hmm. the core fundamental part of a Catholic anthropology and, and psychology is relationship. And we're made out of relationship. We're formed in relationship in the family. We are wounded in relationship. And then we are healed in relationship. The relationships that we have in our accompaniment and walk with others is is what this whole thing is about. So- I I was kind of struck by how we have all these people in ministry who are on the front lines in the world, developing real relationship with people who are suffering, and then needing to refer those people to us or to other professionals, uh, probably having to wait a long time to see them, where then they would have to start off at step one, forming a relationship. So why not just give the people with the relationships some extra training and and help them to, to do it in a more uh, sort of intentional way and know how to hold boundaries and how to create space that's appropriate um, according to the appropriate role that that person has in their life. So that's our certification program. We're taking the science that we use and the anthropology, the philosophy of John Paul II especially, and the spirituality of our faith and bringing it all together, weaving it all together to teach people how to accompany others in a truly catholic manner um all of that you can get at uh catholicpsych.com so that's that's a little bit of what we've been up to we have the podcast um i'm sure i'm forgetting a whole bunch of stuff i, <laughs> hated, <but. laughs>
0: I would definitely check out the on being human podcast you're listening to a podcast now you're engaged with the podcast now check out the being human podcast lots of great stuff there as well, and. I just want to give you a little update on what's coming up for us. I want to thank you Dr. Greg for 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 laying that out. Check out those resources and next episode, episode 127 will be all about understanding borderline dynamics through an internal family systems lens, grounded in a Catholic understanding of the human person. That will release on December 4th, 2023. Invite you into that one to understand more about how parts and systems and especially how switching and blending contribute to borderline dynamics. In episode twenty one twenty five, the last one, we discussed the conventional approaches to BPD, psychodynamic approaches, dialectical behavioral therapy approaches, mentalization approaches by Anthony Bateman and Peter Fonagy, schema therapy by Jeff Ray Young. And we did have a question about that in the chat. That is, I think, an effective approach because it deals with parts and systems and then also some family therapy approaches. In the next one, we're going to be looking at internal family systems. And then Dr. Jerry Crete will be rejoining us in December. And Dr. Greg, we alluded to this. Wednesday evening, December 13th, 2023, from 7.30 to 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. He'll be with me for episode 128, titled Relating Well with Family Members with, quote, borderline, end quote, dynamics. We, again, very much similar format to this 15 to 20 minute conversation, then we'll open it up to questions. And we are very close to reopening the resilient Catholics community to new members in the St. Francis Xavier cohort. That's what Madeline was referring to the RCC, the resilient Catholics community. That's very exciting. We have three overarching goals in the RCC. The first is to tolerate being loved. Being loved by God, by others, by your innermost self. That means being known. That means being open to that vulnerability. Secondly, embracing your identity as a beloved little daughter or son of God. God, your father, Mary, your mother, your primary parents. Right? We were talking about being made in the image and likeness of God. Dr. Greg brought that out so beautifully. And then the third, responding to God, your neighbor, and yourself by reflecting that love back. So join the interest list that we have for the RCC. Go to our RCC landing page, which it's which is at soulsandhearts.com slash RCC. Check that out. Scroll it down. Uh, and then you'll get the updates about as we move forward, there's some, some, some gifts we're going to be giving just to folks that are on the interest list. And then mark your calendars for the evening of Friday, December 1st, 2023 from 8 o'clock PM to 9 o'clock PM Eastern time. When RCC lead navigator, Marion Moreland and I, we will offer you a brief live presentation about the RCC, but we'll spend most of that time answering your questions. And we'll have some of our uh, veteran RCC members there to, to, add, to answer those. So go to RCC landing page, which is soulsandhearts.com slash RCC, and you can register for that Zoom meeting. It's a year-long program, 44 weeks, 90-minute meetings with a small group plus some individual companionship that is so important, daily connection. And so we just want to invite you to check that out. Remember, my conversation hours are every Tuesday and Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can reach out to me, 317-567-9594. That's my cell number. I'm on that number every Tuesday, every Thursday. 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 317-567-9594. That's the best way to reach me um, in in terms of being able to, to connect. And then a final thing, pray for us. Really, everything we do at Souls and Hearts is fueled by prayer. So please keep us in your prayers. And please keep Dr. Greg and the Catholic Psych Institute in your prayers as well. Our companions, In this human formation work, in this corner of the vineyard.
1: Please and thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So good to have you, Doctor Greg, with us. It's just so blessed uh, to have you in our midst, in our presence,
1: sharing with us your wisdom. Awesome. Thank you, it's Such a such a pleasure to be here with you too. Such a blessing.
0: Our Lady, our Mother, untire of knots. Pray for us.
6: Pray for us.
0: Saint John the Baptist.
3: Freak for love.